You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Well, good afternoon and welcome to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. We are live. In fact, maybe the only live broadcast here on Pet Life Radio where you can call in and you can ask questions. Easy number, 877-385-8882. You can also just go on to Pet Life Radio and sort of type in your question right online. Just join the conversation. Or you can send me a quick email to Dr. Jeff. That's drjeff at PetLifeRadio.com. And we are here every week, 1 o'clock on the West Coast and 4 o'clock on the East Coast for you to answer your questions about your pets, anything you want to ask us. And it's free. Not only is the advice free and what can be free, but we want to thank our sponsors like ProSense Pet Products. We'll send you out a free ProSense pet product for your dog or cat. And Kong, Kong Toys, K-O-N-G, have some great stuff. And we can also send out free Kong product to anyone who either calls us here, writes us a question, or sends me an email that we read on the show, and I will read it the following week. And again, you are entitled to your freebies, so you can't lose. It makes it so easy. And as we did last week, we have a very special guest with us this week. It's a very good friend of mine, a veterinary colleague, and way more trained than I am. She is a double-boarded expert, just to talk about what that means. We all go to vet school. We get our DVMs, and then we have to go through a process if you want to get specialized. So let me introduce Dr. Justine Lee. And Justine, why don't you tell us what you had to go through to become not only boarded once, but boarded twice? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Part of being a board-certified specialist just means that we're really geeky and <laughs> went to school or went to additional training through an internship or residency. So it's usually a one-year internship and a three-year residency. So I did an additional five years of training after veterinary school just to specialize in the field of emergency, critical care, and then also toxicology. Now, did you have to do a separate residency for toxicology or just kind of came along with it? No, that one was a a unique one based on working at an animal poison control and being the associate director there for five years. So I um, basically credentialed and took really hard exams and uh, thankfully was able to pass. Well, obviously, everybody out there, Justine is really smart. And that's a good thing. And just you'll tell from the personality, an amazing personality as well. Justine and I are working together on a project that we are still hoping to get off the ground, which will be really fun when we do. So uh, anyway, we will certainly keep you posted on that. So, you know, I thought it would be smart to have Justine here for a number of things. First of all, when one of the bigger calls, the most major problems we get when we talk about emergency care is I do my own emergencies and I take all the phone calls. And it's amazing how many calls come in. And the problem is my dog or cat got into something. And, you know, it's amazing because we have to know, A, what is toxic and what isn't. And not only what presents with a potentially with a problem, but how much of the ingestion, how much does your dog or cat have to eat to be toxic. For example, you know, I get calls all the time. One of the more common calls we can get because it has a, a bad rap is chocolate. So, you know, I think you have to know, Justine, why don't you just walk us through the different types of chocolate and roughly the amount that, say, a 25-pound versus a 50-pound dog would have to eat to have us worry whether it's a problem or not. 
Well, first of all, when it comes to chocolate, remember, the darker and the more bitter the chocolate, the more poisonous it is. And this is actually the worst, one of the worst weekends for chocolate poisoning with Easter coming up. So Easter, Halloween, Christmas, all of our holidays seem to revolve around chocolate. So make sure you keep the basket out of reach so your dog doesn't get into it. With white chocolate, white chocolate honestly barely has any real chocolate in it. So it's not going to be a problem in terms of chocolate poisoning if your dog gets into white chocolate. It would take, honestly, dozens of pounds to cause a poisoning issue with white chocolate. That said, your dog will get sick from all the sugar and the fat (laughs) in white chocolate. Exactly. So when it comes to dark chocolate, again, Baker's chocolate, even one ounce can poison a 30 to 40 pound dog. So you want to be really careful. So most of the milk chocolates that people have, for example, you know, something in uh, the Easter basket, depending on the size of the dog, one or two Snickers, one or two little chocolate eggs aren't going to be a big deal regardless of the size of the dog. But again, it's really dependent on the size of the dog. And how about things like when they say, my dog ate my chocolate cupcake? Oh, great question. So baked goods very rarely have enough chocolate, and the poisoning concern is theobromine, uh, which is a methylvanthine. And again, it's not poisonous to us because we don't usually ingest enough, but there's very, very little true theobromine or true chocolate in baked goods. So again, if your dog gets into a significant amount, even like a, a tray of brownies, If you actually look on the ingredients, cocoa, it's pretty low in the ingredient list. So thankfully, you're not going to be a big, big deal. And so in other words, they probably get sick from pancreatitis or something before the chocolate toxicity by eating all the fat and whatever in the baked goods. Now, here's another one. You know, we have um, years ago, and and again, when I think back, what I used to play with my dogs, you know, I have Labradors and Labradors love to catch. So I would often, the, the favorite thing for them to jump up and catch and for me to throw at them were grapes. And all of a sudden, a few years back, whatever, we start hearing about the toxicity of raisins and grapes. Clearly, none of my labs either ate enough or had whatever it was in them that made these grapes toxic. What exactly is the problem and why is it that some dogs seem to be fine and others not? And just how toxic would, for example, a single raisin be to a dog who is sensitized? Great question. So, you know, I also used to kill my childhood dog, his prednisone, his medication in a grape every single day of his life. And grape and raisin poisoning wasn't actually discovered until 2001. So while humans have been eating it forever, again, we didn't discover this until just recently. And so honestly, there's no toxic dose that we use anymore. It's what we call idiosyncratic. That's a fancy way for us to say we don't know which dog is going to be sensitive to it. And it's not dose dependent necessarily. So some dogs can eat just a couple of ounces of grapes and go into kidney failure. Some dogs can have grapes or raisins every single day of their life and never have a problem from it. So my general rule is if your dog eats one or two raisins, one or two grapes, or even eats a cookie, like an oatmeal raisin cookie, it's probably not going to be a big deal. But my general rule is if it's more than a handful, it's going to be a problem, especially if you have a small dog. So when in doubt, always call your veterinarian first because they can give you advice of how to induce vomiting at home. So there's not going to be any chance of any poisoning to begin with. Now, also another one, you know, there are a lot of plants and things that are out there that people think are toxic. Some of them are a bit overplayed. For example, uh, you know, poinsettia, I think you'd have to eat a bushel to have a problem or if it's even toxic at all. But there is one plant 
Well, first of all, we know there's a plant that really affects cats very, very significantly, and that's lilies, certain lilies anyway. And even so much is it, it's true that even the water that the plants are sitting in, if the cat drinks that water, that can be very toxic to them, correct? That's right. In fact, I hate lily poisoning because my own sister's cat died from it. It died of kidney failure, and it was a kitten that I had given her. And so the frustrating thing was her housemate's boyfriend had sent a bouquet of flowers, and she just had no idea they were poisonous. So this time of the year, we see a huge spike in emergency rooms of Easter lily poisoning. And again, we don't know the exact poison. It still hasn't been chemically identified, but we know it's water-soluble. So one or two leaves, even the pollen, and like you said, a cat just drinking out of the water, out of the vase, can cause severe acute kidney failure. Thankfully, the sooner you recognize it, the sooner and less expensively we can treat it. But most cats need to be hospitalized for at least two days so we can make sure that they don't go into life-threatening kidney failure from it. Now, also, one thing that everyone out there needs to know is that there's a lot of really great, as I said, the internet is a great source of information, but it's also a great source of misinformation. And so it's a good thing if you want to get some background info going on to the internet, but ultimately, you need to talk to your veterinarian. And here's one that I want to get before I tell you what the internet says. I want to hear it from the master. And um, interestingly, I had two calls this week about the same plant toxin that I can't tell you the last time we even talked about it. And I do know it is a, a toxic plant. And the question, I guess, really became, how much would one need to eat to be toxic? And this was oleander. Now, oleander, um, there's a cardiac drug that we often use in practice called digitoxin or digitalis, which is a cardiac glycoside. And that is derived from the oleander plant. But Justine, how much oleander would a dog have to ingest to get enough toxic effect from the plant itself? Jeff, that's a great question. I guess I'll preface it by saying that 90% of the plants out there just cause vomiting and diarrhea. And so it's really hard when you, quote unquote, surf on the internet to look for what kind of poisonous plants there are because most of them are considered, quote unquote, poisonous. But thankfully, most dogs and cats don't ingest enough for it to be an issue. There's really only one or two plants that will kill either a dog or a cat. And so for cats, it's definitely lilies. Anything in the lilium or hemorrhagalis species like Easter lilies or tiger lilies or Asiatic lilies. In dogs, we actually don't worry about oleander quite as much as we do in horses or even cows or uh, goats or sheep. And the reason why is oleander is, you're right, totally deadly, but it depends on how much they ingest. So for a horse, or for a cow, they would only need to ingest about 10 to 20 leaves or as little as 0.1 pounds of the plant. Thankfully, dogs rarely chew into this. And honestly, I've been practicing for about 17 years. I've never seen an oleander poisoning. That said, it's deadly. And if you haven't watched the movie White Oleander, (laughs) it'll show you how poisonous it is. So thankfully, um, we don't see this poisoning very much in dogs and cats. It's more of a large animal poisoning that we see. But I would say, especially since you practice in California and oleanders everywhere, even if you see your dog eat one or two leaves, I would still bring them into your veterinarian so they can be decontaminated and treated right away. Gotcha. So, um, yeah, I think that I got a call and 
the client was concerned. The dog was like, I don't know, a 70-pound dog and possibly ate a leave. And the internet, you know, basically said, oh, my God, you, you know, you're going to have a dead dog. You got to rush him in. I was not as worried. So you might want to check with your veterinarian first. Now, how about Diefenbachia? Great question. Diffenbachia is commonly known as philodendron, and it's a really common house plant because it's really hard to kill. So right. it barely needs any you know, light, barely needs any water. So it's really common in offices and homes. And it usually grows as a vine. Diffenbachia is what we call an insoluble calcium oxalate. And this is where I see a lot of wrong information on the internet. It is not a soluble oxalate. It does not cause kidney failure. So an insoluble calcium oxalate, honestly, it just causes intense foaming of the mouth. And so there's these microscopic crystals, or what we call raphites, that are in the leaves. And when you chew on them, it causes intense burning sensation. So cats and dogs will foam and froth excessively. My little suggestion is just to make sure to flush out the mouth. So you can simply do that by offering some canned tuna water, not the oil, but just the water, or even chicken broth to help flush those crystals out of the mouth. You can give a small amount of milk or even yogurt, and that'll bind with the insoluble calcium oxalate crystals. And honestly, unless there's more significant clinical signs like vomiting or diarrhea, or if your dog or cat continues to foam, most of the time, these can be managed at home. Well, that's uh, it's great. So we're going to take a quick break here. I want to hear from you guys. 877-385-8882. You have one of the top in the country sitting with us here for free. We'll give you advice. So make sure to give us a call. Send us a quick text on internet. Just uh, go on to PetLifeRadio.com or you can send me a quick email to Dr. Jeff, drjeff at PetLifeRadio.com. And we will be back after this brief word from our sponsors. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Dyson. The new Dyson Animal Backs are powerful bagless upright backings for homes with pets. Air muscle and radio root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Back, go to PetLifeRadio.com forward slash Dyson. PetLifeRadio.com forward slash Dyson. To order your Dyson Animal Back today. Dyson. Music to your ears. I'm not much of a reader, but I do wish I were more well-read. There are so many great books coming out. I wish I could find a way to keep up. Audible.com makes it easy to stay well-informed and catch up on your reading simply by listening. Audiobooks from Audible turn downtime into uptime. You'll be more productive and become well-read. Now I'm able to catch up on all the great books I've been wanting to read. With Audible, I feel smarter. Pet Life Radio listeners, try audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership plan free. And get a free audiobook. Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to audibledeals.com. That's audibledeals.com. This year, Americans are expected to spend a jaw-dropping $36 billion on their pets. From lighted leashes to high-end spa products, the discriminating pet owner can find just about anything to pamper his or her pet. Hi, this is Michelle Fern. Join me every week for Best Bets for Pets, where we'll talk about the latest pet products and talk to the companies that make them. Best Bets for Pets, every week, only on PetLifeRadio.com. 
Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> And I want to welcome you back. You are here live with Dr. Jeff Werber on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. And we have a very special guest with us today, and that is Dr. Justine Lee, who is double-boarded. That means she is very, very knowledgeable. The two areas, emergency medicine, critical care, and toxicology, and that's poisons. And, you know, interesting, before the show, we were just talking about different things that our dogs like to do. And I have lots of animals. I have 13, and one of my uh, Labradors, I have two. Uh, and this is, I mean, he's now 13, and he, he doesn't jump up for many things, but he still jumps up for this one. And that is that... <laughs> It sounds kind of gross. So I can see you saying that. They go, oh, my God, this guy's too much. But, but when I brush my teeth, you know, we have that extra toothpaste stuff. And the, we're talking about minty flavors, how some products with mint some animals like and some animals don't like. Well, this Labrador, he will jump up, put his front paws right on the sink. And he, instead of me spitting out this stuff, you know, the foam from the toothpaste, he wants to lick it right off of my mouth. He is disgusting, but I let him do it because he likes it so much, and it is his joy in life. And, of course, Justine brought up a good point, and that is that some toothpastes have xylitol. And Justine, because of the many, many products that we find xylitol in out there, I think people need to know just how potentially what it is, what it's used for, where we find it, and how dangerous it is. Let's talk xylitol. Sure. So the most important thing to remember with xylitol is if you see anything that says sugar-free, you have to make sure that there's absolutely no chance that there's any kind of xylitol in there. And the main reason why is because it's super poisonous to dogs when they get into it. Xylitol is basically a natural sugar-free substance, and it basically has no calories. So it's really popular nowadays in all these products. So we used to think it was just gums and mints, but unfortunately it's in everything nowadays. So things like chewable multivitamins, even prenatal vitamins, over-the-counter melatonin that's not even chewable. It'll have a xylitol to have a slight sweet taste when people swallow it. It's in mouthwashes, toothpaste. It's even in dental floss and nasal sprays. So when in doubt, if your dog chews into anything at all, make sure you look at the product to see that xylitol is not in there. Most of the time with gums and mints, they'll list the order of ingredients and how they appear. So my little rule is if xylitol is listed at the top, within the top three to five ingredients, it's going to be a poisoning issue. When in doubt, you can always call the company to see if it's poisonous. You can always call your veterinarian or you can call ASPCA Animal Poison Control for life-saving advice also. Again, it's sugarless gum, guys. You know, dogs obviously don't chew the gum, but they swallow it pretty well. So everyone out there and all the, a lot of the breath mints and those stuff, you, you know, little containers that you pop in your mouth after eating because you want that fresh breath. Dogs like that stuff. As I said, my dog loves minty stuff. So we got to be very careful that we avoid the uh, xylitol. Anything else with Easter, anything else, Justine, that you want to uh, tell us other than we talked about chocolate, we talked about some of the plants. What are some of the other dangers that you expect phone calls come this next weekend? Well, you know, I would say, even though most people don't think about it, it's actually the Easter grass 
in an Easter basket. So that plastic green fake grass that you put at the bottom of your child's Easter basket, it's basically this long string that poses what we call a linear foreign body risk if your cat eats it. So cats like to chew on long things because they're curious, the ribbon, yarn, string, Easter grass. And what can happen is it gets stuck in the stomach and as the stomach or the intestines contract, it can actually stall through the intestines and cause really severe uh, infections of the abdomen. So if you have a cat in the house or even a dog, absolutely no Easter grass in the basket. And also, one thing I should mention, speaking of linear foreign bodies, we call string foreign bodies. And Justine mentioned just a second ago with xylitol that, believe it or not, some dental flosses well, have xylitol because you want that sweet kind of taste. So what do you do? Often, we, you, know, you take your piece of dental floss and you, you use it and then you toss it in the bathroom trash, which often is not covered. Cats will love to play with string. They just really do. That's the old, you know, you can think of the cat with the old ball of yarn and batting the yarn around. I mean, it, yes, it's adorable. But when they try to eat this stuff and then the one part of the string gets stuck somewhere in the stomach or sometimes around the base of the tongue, so it can't go anymore. But part of the other end of the string is coursing through the intestine. And that causes a terrible problem because then as the string cannot be passed because it's stuck on something, as I said, off in the base of the tongue, it has almost like what we call a piano wire effect. And it starts sawing through the intestine. And it is a major, major problem. Often surgical, it can actually be deadly because once you have a tear in the intestine, that sets up what we call a peritonitis. And it can be really dangerous. So that's another product you want to be aware of is dental floss or anything that you throw away in a garbage that is stringy, the ties from a newspaper, anything, any ribbons, make sure that your cats don't have access to those. Absolutely. In fact, I say flush it to be on the yeah, safe that's- side. Absolutely. Well, you know, one of the things also we talked about, and um, I was talking to a client the other day, we were planning her puppy's schedule on when to spay her dog. And one of the points I made, it was a large breed dog, was that to consider, and, I, and again, we had some time to, for her to think about it, that many of us now are recommending that when we spay a female, especially because you're already inside the abdomen, if it's a large breed, deep chested dog, we are recommending tacking the stomach to the body wall while we're in the surgery to prevent a deadly condition that is very possible potential later on in life called GDV or gastric dilatation volvulus, or it's a bloat. What do you guys think about that, Justine? I think that's so important. So when we quote unquote staple or tack down the stomach, we're basically surgically just repositioning the stomach and actually suturing or stitching it to the body wall so it can't rotate. And this is a must-do if you have a standard poodle, German Shepherd, a Great Dane, or one of these breeds that has a really deep chest. I'll even do it in Bassets also. Mm-hmm. So this, in my opinion, especially when we're saying a female dog, we know we're going to go into the abdomen. I think it's really important to do because it could prevent a really expensive surgery down the line or something that's deadly. So absolutely, I, I totally agree with you, Dr. Jeff. It's the way to go for a large breed dog. And I think it's very important because if you, I mean, it's one of those things also that when bloat comes on, it sort of comes on quickly. And for some reason, it's not always linked. And this is the, I guess, the big puzzle to immediate activity. Because I know it happens, you mentioned Great Danes. I mean, I actually get nervous when we board a Great Dane at my hospital. Because for some reason, why, I don't know, but it seems to happen when they're even relaxed in a small run. 
or they're not even very active and running around. And it's worrisome. I, I can't tell you how many times we've had a dog that will bloat or stories I've heard of dogs bloating even when they're boarding and not active. And it's, and it's a potentially honestly, deadly. I agree. And honestly, you know, there's been a lot of studies to look at, you know, whether or not it's exercise related, whether or not it's food related, does it help if the food bowl's elevated? And my general rule is the more that your dog pants, the more it's going to swallow air and that can lead to the bloating, your stomach filling with gas. And once it fills so much, it's more likely to rotate. And so when in doubt, I always try to be on the safe side and potentially soak the kibble a little bit so it doesn't expand rapidly or feed in those bowls where it takes your dog a, a longer time to eat, especially if your dog wolfs down food right away. I usually try to avoid exercise, you know, 15, 20 minutes before or immediately after eating to prevent it. And again, preventative gastropexy at the time of the stay is one of the most important things that you can do. You know, I have for my uh, for two of my five dogs, I am so impressed with them. I actually sell them in my office, these no-gulp bowls. Basically, it takes the big round food bowl and it has a centerpiece that comes up, dividing the food bowl into four quadrants. And then each of the quadrants is narrowed at one point. So the dog cannot literally stick his whole face inside the bowl and gobble the food in two seconds flat. I mean, to watch my dogs eat, especially the Labradors, you'd think that they haven't seen food in months. And if I allowed them, they would probably polish off a whole bag at once. So anything that you can do, if you have a dog that is just that fast of an eater, it would be very wise to look into some of these bowls. I saw another one that it forces the dog, the area where they actually can eat the food from is only a part of the bowl. The rest is like a, it's like a maze, and they learn to have to paw the food, right, with take a paw and roll the food into the, the, the one area that's large enough for them to put their snout into. So instead of gobbling the food in four seconds, it takes them about 15 minutes to polish off their food. And once they learn how to do it, it's really cool. I haven't used it yet, but I saw a little video about it, and I thought that is really clever because it really slows the dogs down, and it keeps them occupied for at least 15 minutes while they're trying to gobble their food down. So um, I thought that was a great idea. I think it's a great uh, idea, too. It's great for environmental enrichment. Exactly. It keeps them busy. It keeps them, uh, keeps them occupied. And if you have a dog who is, uh, suffers from severe separation anxiety, boy, you can give him some food in his bowl about you know, 15, 20 minutes before you leave, and, and they're just they're occupied. They're going to let you go. They're going to notice you walked out the door. So um, anyway, it is that time. We have to uh, uh, say goodbye, call it quits. Justine, Dr. Justine Lee, I want to thank you for joining me. Anytime you want to come back, let me know. We'd love to have you. Uh, and if you have any questions, anything, questions about toxicities, about emergencies, uh, go ahead and you can email me at Dr. Jeff, Dr. Jeff at Pet Life Radio. I will pass them on to Justine. You will get your, your ProSense product. You will get your Kong toy and an answer to your question. Isn't life grand? What could be worse? What could be better? I should say nothing could be better. So uh, we'll see you back here next week here on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff on Pet Life Radio. And once again, Justine, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on the show, Jeff. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.